So today we're actually in the last week of this series, East of Eden. It's our third week and final week, a very short series. And if you remember the first week, we looked at the heart of worship. What What is worship like East of Eden? What is worship like outside of paradise? You remember Adam and Eve sinned against God and was kicked out of paradise, out the east end of Eden. And so what the heart of worship was like east of Eden. The second week, we look at rebellion and repentance east of Eden, that God constantly came to Cain seeking repentance, but Cain continued in rebellion. And this week, the final week, we're going to look at the tale of two legacies, and that will bring us up to Noah, which we'll pick up another time and talk through as well. When I was growing up, the youth actually know this strange factoid about me, but when I was growing up, I had a very peculiar like. Um, I love to have soup for breakfast, all right? I can't remember if I told all of you this, confess this to you, but I like to have soup for breakfast. And the reason why is because growing up, my mom would take all the leftovers from us five kids, and she would put it in a pot, fill it up with water, pour some salt in it, right? And she'd heat it up, and then the next morning we'd have this nice, warm, hot soup in the winter to eat. And, uh, and so I loved growing up eating soup. Where it got really tricky was when I was running late for school. Because I'd say, Mom, you know, I can't eat, I can't eat, I can't eat. I'm running late for school. I got to go. And, and like a good mom, she's, you got to eat, right? You got to eat. Got to have your breakfast. And so she would give me this bowl of soup going out the door. And I'd be driving to school with this bowl of soup as a 17-year-old driving a stick shift. Don't try this, guys. Don't try this. And so, and so with my left foot, I'd be doing the clutch. With the right, I'd be doing gas and brake, no power steering, and a stick shift while trying to eat a bowl of soup. All right? And so I'm like, it's the closest thing I ever got to being a drummer. But that's kind of like what it was eating this bowl of soup. All right? Now, uh, there will be winter mornings where I'll say, I just want a bowl of soup for breakfast. And so I'll pull out the ramen packet, I'll break it up, I'll put it in a bowl, and I'll, I'll put in the, the microwave, put some hot sauce on it. Delicious to me, gross to probably the rest of you. But my uh, kids, Corbin and Caleb especially, they'll say, we want some soup. We want some soup for breakfast. And so I'm starting to pass on this wonderful and amazing legacy of eating soup for breakfast, or horrible and putrid, depending on your viewpoint. But I'm passing this legacy on to my children. Whether we want to or not, we pass on legacies to our children, for good or for bad. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so what we do in this life matters very, very much, not just for today, but for generation upon generation upon generation. If you're here today and you say, you know, I'm single, I'm a high school kid, this doesn't really pertain to me, this is a perfect time for you to hear this message because you're going to learn what it means to follow and pursue God to the point where you will leave a godly legacy for your children, Lord willing, someday. Today, uh, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 5, I believe it's on page 4 or 5 of the Red Bible, we're going to do something very unique today we're actually going to go through a chapter and a half of the Bible. And so we might be in the Guinness Book of World Records. I know what you're thinking. Sweet. More for my money, right? More for my money. A chapter and a half of the Bible. But wait, it it gets even better. Not only are we going to go through a chapter and a half of the Bible, we're going to go through a chapter and a half of genealogies. 
All right. How many of you have ever been in a church where they preach through a chapter and a half of genealogies on a given Sunday? See, this is the first for all of us. This will be great. This will be great. So we're actually going to break it down so that so that it doesn't seem so long, but it's hard to to to, to really preach this as different sermons. And so we're going to talk all the way through this today. And uh, Lord willing, it will really bless us. Um, we preach through the Bible here at Jacob's Well. The reason why we do that is, one, we don't want to only pick the texts that are convenient for our theology. We want the Bible to drive our theology instead of our theology driving what Bible text we read and preach on. But the second reason is because we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. All is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting in righteousness. All of Scripture is profitable, even the genealogies. I told my wife I was preaching through genealogies, and she goes, isn't that the part that everybody skips? And I said, yeah, it is. Me too. But today, we're not. So we're going to preach through this, and uh, we're trusting, because it's God's Word, that it will be profitable and good for us. There's a reason why God has this in here. And so we're going to start in Genesis 5. We're going to read verse 1 through 5, and then we're going to break it up as we go through the sermon today. So let's start Genesis 5, verse 1 through 5. I'm preaching from the English Standard Version, um, so follow along. Genesis 5, 1 through 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, we we know that you don't waste a single word in all of your scriptures, God. And we often guide over these parts, and could it be that they're extremely important for our lives, Lord, for our legacies, Lord. God, pray that you would give us attentive hearts as we're doing a lot of reading this morning, God. And Lord, most of all, we pray that through your grace, you would transform our hearts to trust in you, Lord to surrender more of our lives to you, as Dick said, to bring our sin to the cross and to find the freedom that we have in Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to look at two genealogies. We're going to look at the the genealogy, the line, the legacy in the life of Cain, and the line in the legacy of Seth. Now, why is it profitable to look at these? Well, I think in this passage that we just read, it gives us a really strong hint. In verse 1, it says, in 5.1, it says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. This is a summary of what we're told in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1, 26 to 27, and you can hear this echoed here in Genesis 5, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so Adam and Eve were created as image bearers of God. They were created in his likeness. 
Not physically, right? They didn't look like God. They didn't have the same nose, the same eyes, the same hair as God. But in their character, they were holy. They were righteous. They were without sin before the fall. And so they bore the image of God. And then as we read on here in Genesis 5-3, you see this being moved, shifted, this, this likeness, this image bearing. In 5-3, it says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. And so as Adam was made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, his son Seth was made in his image. His son Abel, his son Cain, was made in his image, in his likeness. And so what we learn real fast is that our children are made in our own likeness, in our own image. And so for good or for bad, you bear the image of your parents. For good and for bad, your children will bear your image. And so it's extremely important that we leave a legacy that bears the image of God. Because we pass that on to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children and so on. And so today we're going to look at the lives, the lineage, and the legacy of Cain and of Seth. And we're going to see how they contrast each other. So let's first look at Cain. Let's look at Cain's life. And I'm just going to summarize basically what we talked about in the last two sermons about who we know Cain to be, what we have seen as indicators of Cain's heart. First, we saw that Cain was extremely rebellious. You remember he offered this half-hearted worship to God, this half-hearted offering to God. And God comes to Cain and he says to him, why don't you do what is right? And Cain responds with great anger and he kills his brother. And so he is a rebellious man. Cain was also an unrepentant man. When God comes to Cain and says, Cain, what have you done? Hoping for repentance, hoping that Cain would say, Lord, I've killed my brother. Please forgive me. Cain says, I don't know where he is. And then when God comes to him and pronounces his judgment, Cain doesn't say, Lord, I'm sorry. He says, this is so unfair. You're treating me unfair. And so Cain is an unrepentant man. But thirdly, and the scariest, is that Cain was a religious man. Cain was a religious man. Cain had a benefit that I think most of us don't have the benefit of. Cain actually had conversations with God. Cain actually spoke with God. Cain believed in God. But Cain did not have a relationship with God. Cain did not worship God. Cain hid from God and he lived an independent life from God. There's a lot of people in Green Bay who would say, yes, I believe in God. They know of God, but they don't know God. And this is a warning to us. Do you know God? Are you in a relationship with the God of the universe? And so we see Cain's life. And as a result, there's the legacy of Cain. And so let's read Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read verse 16 through 24 to see the legacy of Cain. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. There it is again. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erid, and Erid fathered Mahujel. I'm going to mess these up. If you're looking for a kid's name, this is a great sermon. All right. 
Arid fathered Mahujel, and Mahujel fathered Methuselah. And Methus- Boy, this is bad. I even practiced this out loud, and I butchered it then too. All right. Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the foreigner of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. And then this is the part we're going to focus on here. Verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so we see the progress of sin, the progress of the fall getting worse and worse. That evil and wickedness is spreading. And we see the legacy of Cain being passed on. We see it being magnified. And we see ultimately in this final guy, Lamech. And we see the legacy of perversion that Cain passes on. If you remember, Cain had perverted God's command on worship. We don't know exactly what God's command was, but Cain knew. And Cain brought this half-hearted sacrifice to God. And as he brought that half-hearted sacrifice to God, God says, Don't, you know what's right, you know what to do well, but you're not doing it. And so he had perverted God's word. He had perverted God's command on how God should be worshipped. Here we see... We see Lamech perverting God's command on marriage, on what marriage should be and what marriage shouldn't be. The Bible makes a very clear point to point out that Lamech had two wives. This is abnormal. This is not how God had intended it. In Genesis 2.24, God says, before Lamech ever came about, therefore, a man, one man, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, one wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so God says, one husband, one wife, one flesh, right? One plus one equals one. Put that on your math test, all right? One plus one equals one. One man, one woman equals one flesh. Not one man plus two women equals one flesh. And so here, God is clearly communicating it should, marriage should be between one man and one woman, and the perversion continues through Lamech as Lamech marries two women. And so you see the legacy of Cain's perversion. You also see the legacy of Cain's anger. If you remember earlier in chapter 4, when God exposes Cain's half-hearted worship, when he rejects Cain's sacrifice, it says this in 4 or 5, Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Verse 8, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And so Cain had this horrible anger, and he even went so far as to kill his very own brother. And that gets passed on throughout generations to Lamech. Lamech actually sings this song, all right? He sings a song to his wives, right? I I don't think this is a good song to sing if you're trying to pick up the ladies, right? But he sings a song about how he had killed this guy for merely touching him for merely bruising him for giving a mere flesh wound and so but he comes and he kills this guy and he's bragging and he's boasting about it and this song it's this tyrannical raid 
right? And so Cain's anger gets passed on, but ironically, Cain's religion also gets passed on to Lamech. In verse 24, he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Lamech is so certain that God is on his side. Lamech is so certain that if if somebody would kill him, that God would avenge his death 77 times. But he doesn't know God. He knows of God, but he doesn't know God. I grew up in a very religious family. We went to church every Sunday. Um, I can't think of a Sunday that we actually missed church, to be honest with you. And for that, I'm, I'm very thankful. But um, I, I, we went, it was me, uh, my four siblings, my mom and my dad. And so seven of us would come into church. Seven of us would leave as fast as we could because we checked the box, got it done, and, and we're out of there. Uh, people would say to me, friends would say to me and to my siblings, man, your dad is so cool. I wish my dad was like your dad. He's so easygoing. He's so, he's so happy and joyful. And, and whenever I would hear that, I would always think in my heart, and I asked my dad permission to share this, you don't know the real dad. You don't know the guy who's at home, who's constantly screaming, constantly yelling, who has just this horrible anger. I remember screaming matches where, where there would be foaming at the mouth because it was so horrible. And, um, and so as a child and up into my teenage years, I would either play referee and try to navigate this and make some logical sense. When I figured out that none of this makes sense, I just started fleeing to my friends' houses. But my dad had this horrible anger and it was passed on to me and to my brothers and even sisters. And so you see that legacy being passed on. I'll finish that story in a little bit. But you see the legacy, for good or for bad, is being passed on. You remember last week we talked about Cain's secret sin, and Dick had mentioned it this morning, but Cain had a secret sin. Killing Abel was his secret sin. You remember he took Abel out into the field so nobody would know, and then when God comes to him, he says, I don't know where Abel is. And so Cain tried to keep this secret sin in his life, thinking that it would affect no one. But this passage makes it really clear that secret sin, our sin, affects us for generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. It's passed down to our kids because our sin is never a secret to God. If you're here and you're single, I think this is a great opportunity to encourage you. Choose wisely who you marry. Choose extremely wisely who you marry because they will not only be your marriage partner, they will be someone that you will be leaving a legacy with. A good rule of thumb, if you're looking for a spouse, if you're looking for someone to date, is choose someone that loves Jesus more than they love you. That's the person that you want to marry. Trish and I have this saying, we tell each other to remind us of this. We say, you're my second best friend because Jesus is our very best friend. Find someone that loves Jesus more than they love you because then your marriage will be built on the solid rock of Christ and you will leave a godly legacy to your children. Marry someone where when you look at them, you say, I want my kids to be like that man, to be like that woman because you will hear story after story after story of people who have married someone and they say, boy, that was a mistake. I don't want my kids around them. And so choose very wisely. Don't hurry into it. Find someone who loves the Lord more than they love you. And so Cain left a legacy of rebellion against God, a rebellion that is 
Lamech, that Lamech inherited. A rebellion and an anger. And so that was Cain's legacy. Let's look at Seth. I think it's so cool that Dick comes up and shares this morning about his youngest boy, Seth. And right here in the text, the youngest boy, Seth. Very cool. Let's read um, Genesis chapter 4, and we're just going to read two verses here. Verse 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and Cain, excuse me, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. So to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so we see in this text something very interesting. That there's this turn in Adam and Eve. If you remember at first, when, when, when Eve had bore Cain, she said, uh, and this is in Genesis 5.1, she says, I have gotten or brought forth a man with the help of the Lord. And this was a very man-centered thought, right? There's even some, Hebrew confu- some confusion in the Hebrew translation. She might have actually said, I have brought forth the Lord. But either way, she's saying, I have done this. Even if it's with God's help, I am central to this. It was very man-centered. Look what I have done. But then when we come to Seth, she says, God has granted me another child. This is a gift of grace from God. God is the one who gives life. And I am so thankful that he has given me this boy, Seth. And so you see this change in Adam and Eve's heart in which they go from being man-centered to more God-centered. And it has this influence on Seth and on their grandson, Enosh, and immediately they start a new legacy. Adam and Eve do, and Seth does. In verse 26, again, it says, At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that they began to gather to worship God. As, as wickedness and evil progressed on the earth, as people started to get Worse and worse in their sin. There was a remnant of people who worshipped God. Who said, I need the Savior. I need the Lord. And they worshipped him as his good and mighty and awesome God. And it says they would call on his name. What that means is they were calling on all of who God is. They were saying, we want all of your riches. We want all of your blessings. We want all of your mercy. We want all of your grace. And they called upon him and they worshipped him. And so they began this new legacy you know when when our nation goes through natural disasters like katrina the people will call on the national government for help and what do they want from them they want their riches they want their skills they want their aid they want their presence this is what they're doing they're calling on the lord saying we need you come to us come quickly and so they start this legacy of calling on the name of the Lord. And so we see Seth's legacy. And this is the largest portion of scripture that we're going to read. And so um, you can laugh when I pronounce names. But Genesis chapter 5, verse 6 through the end. And then we're going to read one verse in chapter 6. Genesis 5, verse 6. And this is the legacy of Seth, of a man who called on the Lord. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. 
Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years. Awesome. And had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. You can't see this in the text, but literally there are thousands of people by now. If you take their age and you take the way that they're making babies, there's thousands of people by now, all right? Verse 12, when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And so we see this pattern so far in which it says, this guy was born, he had kids, he lived so many years, and then he died. But the pattern's going to get broken here. All right? Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Methuselah. Enoch walked with God and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And so Enoch escapes death. Go on. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech, a different Lamech than before. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Skip down to 6.9, and we're going to end with this verse. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. We made it. Good work. So we see Seth's legacy. And I'm going to kind of just summarize it because there's a lot there. But what we see is Seth's legacy was worshipers that walked with God by faith. That walked with God by faith. Seth, who called upon the Lord, taught his son Enosh to call upon the Lord. Who taught his son Kenan to call upon the Lord. And he left this legacy of people who walked with God, called upon the Lord leaving a legacy for his children and for his children's children. Leaving a godly legacy for our children is a hard thing to do. As Dick has already mentioned, it's not only hard, it's impossible without the help of God. This past Tuesday, I had eaten breakfast with my family and I was headed upstairs 
and um, and and Trish says to the boys and, and to Carissa, "Okay, kids, it's Bible time, and I'm preparing this sermon right about leaving a legacy." And so I pause in the stairs. And I'm sitting there for about five seconds knowing I should go back down, but also thinking I have all these things to do today. And so for five seconds, I stand there repenting, right? And then I turn around and I come down the stairs and I'm like, all right, kids, Bible time. And so the, so the kids gather around and what do you think they say? Thank you, O oh Father, for reading us the Bible. I'm sure that happens in your home, not in mine. Um, Corbin's sitting next to me and Caleb's sitting next to me and then Trish and then Chris is in a... A, a child seat, um, a high chair. And so as I'm starting to read, Corbin pulls out this monster truck and it starts very subtle, just kind of, right? And then and the next to me is Caleb. Caleb starts crying and puts his head into Trish's belly. And then Carissa in the high chair starts screaming her head off. And so Trish gets up to take care of Carissa. Caleb gets off the couch and runs out because he's going to time out for some reason. I can't remember. And then Corbin goes to another chair because he wants another track to run his truck on. And so I'm sitting there, a grown adult man reading the child's Bible all by myself, thinking, is this worth it? Is there any point to me reading this child's Bible? Is there any reason, is there any point to me pursuing these kids to teach them to love Jesus? And right here in this passage, we see generation upon generation upon generation that says, absolutely. Absolutely. It's tough to do. It's impossible to do without the help of the Lord. But we need to teach our kids to love Jesus, to love the Lord. An interesting thing here is that in verse 20 and 22 and in 6, 9, Uh, there's an interesting description given to Enoch and to Noah. And it says, these are men who walked with God. They walked with God. What does that mean? Well, I hate to, well, I don't hate to. I have a little bit more scripture for you, all right? Three verses. Hebrews 11, 5 through 7 tells us what it means that they walked with God. It's very crystal clear. It should be up here on the screen. Hebrews 11, 5 through 7 By faith, Enoch, the guy we're talking about, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And here it is. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteous that come by faith. And so what we learn is that walking with God means walking by faith. But they didn't just have faith in anything. What what did Enoch, what did Noah had faith in. They had faith in the promise that was given to their great, 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 great grandma in Genesis 3.15 that God, through the line, through the legacy of the woman, would send a Savior that would conquer sin, conquer death, conquer Satan. And we know that line 
leads to Jesus. We know that legacy leads to Jesus who came to the cross, who died for our sin, for, who died for all the ways that we have failed to leave a godly legacy for our children. And he has raised us up to new life that we might live as new husbands, as new mothers, as new fathers, leaving a godly legacy for our children, redeeming our failed attempts and leading us in the way everlasting. My dad uh, moved out of the house when he was... Uh, when I was in 11th grade and the senior year of high school, I found some things out and my dad and I quit talking to each other for about a year. And uh, after my dad had moved out, God did some amazing things. He saved my dad and he saved me. And with both of us, he did this amazing work of taking away our anger. Uh, not that we don't ever get mad, but this, this, this oppressive, overriding anger in our hearts. God has taken that away from us. And now my dad is leaving a new legacy. He's leaving a godly legacy. You see, when I called my dad to ask him permission to to use this illustration, (laughs) my dad was actually delivering Thanksgiving meals to people who needed it, and he would stay and pray with them. And so my dad is leaving a new legacy, teaching us how to love the hurting, but more so how to love Jesus. Here's the good news is it is never too late to leave a legacy. Dick, your kids might be out of the house. You influence them more than they ever know, more than you ever know. And you still have a legacy to leave, a godly legacy, teaching our kids to love and worship Jesus, to, to, to raise up worshipers who walk with God by faith in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, you have given us this impossible task of leaving a godly legacy for our kids, Lord. And yet we know that you are a God of grace. You are a God of mercy. You are a God who pours out your blessings upon us, God. And all of us who are parents, all of us who will be parents, will fail to one extent or another. But we know that you are the Father who leaves a legacy that will never end. You leave a legacy that is greater than our best efforts. And we praise you for that, God. Lord, help empower us as we are raised to new life with Christ to leave a legacy. Lord, I pray for those folks here who do not have kids, God, that you would be working in their hearts, that they would learn to walk and to worship you now so that when they do have kids, they would be able to leave a godly legacy for generation upon generation upon generation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.